Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Hi, and welcome to Self-Improvement Atlas, the personal science insights podcast produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions of life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week, we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with the expert knowledge of professionals in the field. I'm Marie Stella, your host from Melbourne, Australia. Let's start the show. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Self-Improvement Atlas, the Personal Science Insights Podcast. If you've been on the fence about getting a pet, well, get off the fence. Today, we'll be exploring how training a pet can help you develop patience and empathy. We are picking the brain of a very experienced dog trainer, Melanie Scott, who runs Canines for Vela, a not-for-profit charity that raises awareness and trains assistance dogs for first responders living with PTSD. Hi, Melanie. How are you going today? I'm good, thanks. Tell us a bit about yourself and how you got into this dog training business. Um, yeah, so I uh, started dog training quite a few years ago now, um, and I've always loved animals, um, particularly uh, dogs. So uh, it started off, I grew up in northern Queensland, and then I started a, a career in policing with Victoria Police, so I moved down to Victoria, and then um I became um, medically unwell from everything that I saw during the job and then I decided that I would need to change career paths and I eventually settled on dog training because I love dogs. I'd always had a lot to do with dogs and been heavily involved with their basic training uh, growing up and that's pretty much how I settled on the dog training and I just, yeah, it's really um, turned things around and I really love what I do. That's a lovely story, Melanie. Um, when did you move to Victoria? Uh, it was the start of 1999. Start of 1999. I was in my head thinking like, oh, 2010s or something like that. You don't look that old, <laughs> which I know sounds like a backhanded compliment now, but um, Aiden can just edit that out. <laughs> All right, before we, um, before, we get carried away um let's find out more about you and your hobbies your interests and the like this is have you met melanie scott um what's your favorite book i think like the most memorable book i've probably ever read is schindler's list Mm -hmm. schindler's list what's it about so that's about how oscar schindler um helped through his like um factory during world war ii helped like a lot of um jewish people escape from nazi germany um so yeah like i've always had a keen interest in um things about world war ii my grandfather um fought for australia in world war ii um, i've always had a keen interest about it and it was around the time that the movie schindler's list was coming out and i thought i would read the book because i was at school at the time 
And I love the book so much that I actually didn't see the movie. What? Yeah. No. Well, I haven't seen the movie either, but my next question was going to be if that was your favorite movie. No, it's not my favorite movie um, because I haven't seen it. Uh, I like um, comedy movies and stuff like that. Um, I love to read books that are more about uh, like true stories and to learn information about things. Whereas when I watch movies, I like more to just um, relax and um, have a few laughs at some like silly comedies and stuff like that. Yeah, I can relate to that, except I think I'm the complete opposite. I like um, funny books for some reason. Um, it just keeps me so entertained. And then with movies, I like documentaries and learning things. Um, so in that case, what would your favorite film be? Uh, I reckon it would have to be White Chicks. That is White like Chicks. the most ridiculous comedy <laughs> out and I find it hilarious. Yeah. That is a classic. Um, I also feel like it's the go-to movie for any like sleepover, any like girls sleepover or, or like just anything. Like if there's a bunch of girls, White Chicks, it's like just put it on and you're good. Um podcast you have do you listen to any podcasts uh yeah i think um what well, my favorite one i particularly listen to this when i'm like walking the dogs or um if i'm having trouble going to sleep or anything like that like i love listening to um the mr ballen podcast uh so that podcast is from um john allen he was a he's an ex-navy seal and he started up uh like a youtube channel and then like diversified out um there's just like um strange weird stories you know often like mysteries or um <gasps> like um uh, like murders or unsolved cases and stuff like that are like true crime and that type of thing so he tells it in a real like story format so you really get engrossed in the story yes i i love that so much i'm a huge fan of true crime and there are a few podcasts and youtubers that i watch um that do tell it in the story format and it keeps you so just you're so immersed in it um it's just very very what's the word for it it's so mesmerizing i feel like um but i can't i don't know about you i can't listen to it late at night <laughs> no, I, I don't freaked. have a problem with it. I can listen to it before I get to bed. <laughs> oh, you're brave. <laughs> to it. No, it's not. It's no real problem uh, for me um, with that sort of stuff. Uh, but yeah, I just find it really interesting. And the way that he tells it, it's like more of the point of view of the person, and he gets right into the details about you know like what they probably would have been doing at the time and what they would have been feeling in that type of stuff. So it's a kind of, a, it's the true crime thing, but it's kind of like a little bit of a slightly different spin on um, some of the other stories. So rather than just being fact-based, it's more about, oh, well, they woke up in the morning and fixed themselves some breakfast and it was a great day and such and such. So you're kind of setting the scene like you're actually in there watching them um, and with them as it happens. Yeah. Do you know if he actually fact checks all these things? Like, did they actually fix themselves breakfast when they woke up in the morning? Or uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that he has like some creative, uh, <laughs> creative there. Yeah, um, fair enough. Um, do you have a famous role model? Look, I think um, I didn't really have that many famous role models growing up. 
But I think someone that I looked up to and always admired was, uh, and still is, um, Shania Twain, mm-hmm. uh, the country music singer turned. Love her. What's that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think it was just like how her parents died when she was still very young and then she had to um, come and become like the, the mother role model for her younger siblings and she would work, you know, like late at night singing at, at bars and stuff like that to try and earn enough money to feed her family and stuff like that. And I think that, yeah, it's just um, the struggle that she had to go through um, early in life is just you know, really huge. Um, yeah, um, she is country music queen and she paved the way for Taylor Swift, with, with who is one of my favourite singers, so... I, I'm with you there. Um, we are moving on to the interview section now. Um, so how do you define personal development? I think for me, it's just learning something more in depth about something that I want to know. Um, so any particular topic. Um, so whether I want to learn something about like tech or social media, how to do stuff, like it's more about um how I would grow and benefit um, from learning that particular skill and then um, researching it and uh, and going into detail, I think is probably the best best way. But just thinking what what do I need help with or what what am I interested in and then pursuing that topic. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you say are the main challenges in personal development? For me, it's probably finding the time to be able to do that because I'm pretty busy and I've got a lot of pets and I've got yeah, like a business to run and that sort of stuff. Um, so it's more finding the time. It's probably the only limiting factor because I love learning new things and um, exploring different stuff. So yeah, it's just time. Yeah, I think a lot of adults who are working full time can also relate to that, especially if they don't have a great grasp on work-life balance. Um, it is a struggle, you know, you get home from your nine to five and you're just so wiped out and you just want to go to bed. Um, yeah, I so I think a lot of people will, will agree with you there. Um, so how do you think pet caring contributes to personal development? Well, I think uh, for me, it's been um, learning more about myself through the animals because like each one's got their own little personality and stuff like that and how they interact with the world and how the world interacts with them um, shapes the way the animal is. Um, so I use a lot of that when I'm doing my dog training about why animals are responding in a certain way or um, I just find that stuff like yeah like super interesting so it's more I need to learn to understand what the animal is feeling and experiencing um as opposed to just putting my own beliefs on that animal I guess it just teaches you to be more um compassionate towards Mm -hmm. other other living beings I think so how many dogs do you have at the moment I've got three wow are they big dogs as well yeah, I've got <gasps> yeah. Big, I've got a German Shepherd cross Rottweiler. I've got a little pug, and I'm training a golden retriever. <gasps> um, he's about nine months old, um, and I'm training him for the charity that I run. 
Yeah, I love pugs so much. Oh, I actually bumped into one the other day in like Hughesdale or something, and he totally rammed me over. He was actually like not that old. He was pretty young, but he was humongous, and he just like I fell over. Um, but he was just trying to play, and it's adorable. So, what are your dog's personalities like? Okay, so Paddington, my German Shepherd, right wheel across. He is quite a timid dog, so he can be quite fearful and afraid of things. So he's on medications and certain, um, like I've got to have a lot of um, leeway in the way that I handle and manage him. So it's like he's got to have a very set routine. Um, he's afraid of a lot of things with wheels and he can get very boisterous when he's upset. Um, so it's about managing that and with his medication and also doing like behavioral training and that sort of thing with him. Um, he's also got a, uh, discoid lupus. So he's got a condition where when he's exposed to a lot of sunlight, um, he gets like a really bad rash on top of his nose. So it's, it's common to a lot of shepherds and that type of thing. And then also some problems with the sunlight affecting, um, within his eyes as well so i need to keep him indoors a lot or under shelter um uh, yeah he's quite difficult to he's quite difficult to manage but he's a he's a very sweet dog <laughs> uh how do you take him for walks if you have to keep him indoors it's mainly if the uv sunlight is below two so that's usually before nine in the morning or after in winter time, it's about probably four thirty in the afternoon. Um, in summertime, it can be after six in the okay. evening. Yeah, that yeah, that's pretty like that's easy to work around, but um, it must still be kind of like taxing. You have this in in your mind constantly. Like I have to go and take him for a walk, otherwise I can't until this certain time. Um, yeah, before I digress, because I love hearing about your dogs and all their different personalities. I have a cat and I'm in love with cats and finding their per the little personalities and the quirks is just so fascinating to me, but I can't get, I have to, I have to yeah, keep on topic, keep on topic. <sighs> anyway. Three cats as well. You've got three cats as well. How do they live together? The, the cats especially? Easily. Initially, um, initially it was quite difficult. Yeah. So the cats have got their own room. So two cats get along and the other mm -hmm. one doesn't. <laughs> one that um, gets along with the dogs is um, my little black and white cat, Claudia, and she's got vision problems. So I've had her since she was a little baby. Um, and I'm actually in the room that, that her and the dogs spend the most time in. Um, so there's a little cat scratchy pole left behind. <laughs> Maybe we could get a little um, cameo from the cats. Well, I'm sure she'll probably make an appearance at yeah. some point. I'm surprised she's in here now. That um, would be iconic. <laughs> yeah, the other two um, get along really well together, but don't particularly get along with uh, Claudia. So they've got their own separate area that they oh. have involved. So they're all managed in a very um, particular way. And so, so are the dogs. It took a while for the cats and dogs to get along, but um, it's yeah, it it's not that bad to be able to manage them. And if I'm having a shower or something, I just like put the 
put the boys in there, put the dogs in their um, like crates and stuff like that, and they have their crates as their bedrooms pretty much. So they just hop in there while I'm in the shower just in case like the cats start fighting. Yeah. And- <laughs> Dogs fly it up and they start barking and running around the house because the the second that you get in the shower, that's the ones on that they're going to do it. <laughs> I relate to that so hard. Um, so, how would you define pet caring? Look, I think for me, it's realizing that like, pets are a lifelong commitment. So rather than just getting it for the the lifestyle that you have at that exact moment, like you got to think, you know. Like over 10 years um, ahead, you know, like what would happen if I have to move out of this house? What would happen if I, um, you know, lost my job? Would I be able to afford it? Or if I wanted to go overseas, what would, you know, like what would I do? So rather than just getting something that's convenient at the time and then not thinking far ahead, I think um, we all need to just know that, you know, animals have feelings too and they get. Um, quite upset and can be quite traumatized when they're um, like moved around and sort of bounced around and that sort of stuff. So yeah, they've all got their own little little personalities and they they just want to be loved. And I think that often we just treat them as some sort of like a commodity, like they're just to make us happy. Um, but really, we need to be making them happy too. Mm-hmm. And because of their little personalities and quirks and also inevitably different breeds would would have different health issues, um, would you say that finance is something that people have to think about more when it comes to caring for a pet? Oh, definitely. I think everyone gets carried away with the purchase price of the animal. Um, whereas in the scheme of things, that's the least amount that you're ever going to spend. Um, so you might be willing to, to pay, like, you know, during COVID too, some of these dogs were worth like seven or $8,000. Um, and people then would spend all of that money, but then if that dog needed like some sort of a corrective surgery or um, for their desexing or for their basic veterinary care or dog training or whatever it is I think people spend the money on the focus on not necessarily the most important areas like they'll focus on getting a really expensive dog and then an expensive bed and then uh you know such and such but really it's about um prioritizing okay like if I'm going to get pet insurance do I get pet insurance before I I choose the type of dog that I get. What sort of medical conditions are they predisposed to? Um, am I likely to need to get, you know, um, surgery for a potential hip dysplasia or um, for pugs and other dogs, the brachy breeds, like um, surgery, like on potentially on their nostrils or on their throat to help them with their breathing? Um, do I have to factor in the cost of grooming? You know, mm-hmm. do I have like a dog that needs grooming every six weeks? Uh, am I willing to do that myself? Can I afford to get someone to do it? So I think um, a lot of times in the animal care industry, the people that are providing that care, uh, they're seen as someone, oh, well, if you love animals, you should pretty much almost do this for free. But 
that's not how this this works. I mean, you wouldn't ask an accountant to just do your tax for free or a lawyer to handle your case for free. So, you know, a groomer shouldn't have to groom your dog for free or a trainer shouldn't have to train your dog for free or a vet shouldn't have to treat your animal for free. Like we do it because we love it and we want to help care for your animal. But I mean, it's not different from any other profession. I think people just don't allow that that money. And the reason why um, these services are more expensive is because it's not um, subsidized by Medicare and other things like that, that our healthcare system in Australia allows us to have cheaper medical care, mm-hmm. whereas vets don't have that um, ability to be able to to claim that back from the government and stuff like that. So, you know, it's it does seem um, expensive by comparison, but it's not um, that they're trying to rip you off. It's just that, you know, it's the cost of caring for animals. It can be quite high. Yeah, hundred percent. And you do have to make a living on your own as well. You need to eat. You need to do everything else besides eat because eat is like a basic human right. Um, so, what are some other unspoken challenges for caring for pets? Look, I think um, managing medical needs can be a big one. Um, Figuring out if you want to go away, that can be challenging as well. Um, if you've got a dog, like mine, has got like um, anxiety issues, how you would manage that. Uh, if you've got a dog that you've rescued, like a lot of them carry with them a lot of emotional baggage and trauma um, and how you would manage, manage that dog or cat or like whatever it is. So... There's a lot of challenges um, and a lot of it is on personality as well. So you can often find that the you may need to find like a quieter area like for particular pets because they may struggle with noise or struggle when there's thunderstorms or whatever it is. So you may need to have like some sort of plans in place to help them cope with stressful situations or if they don't like visitors or... Um, you know, if they, yeah, look, there's certain things that um, pets do and don't like, and the same as us. So it's just managing um, the environment as much as we can to help help them. So and have us live happily with them, and them live happily with us. I think. Yeah, I think especially managing the plans when it comes to like going on vacation that is generally it generally seems to be an afterthought for a lot of people looking to get pets which admittedly was the same for me as well because I got my cat when I was when it was locked down and so like just going on vacation was so out of the out of my mind and just not like I just didn't consider it or or I thought about it very briefly Um, and thankfully my cat is pretty easygoing and is very social so booking a boarding like a cat boarding place for him is not that big an issue Um, but I know some cats that just cannot deal like being in the same space as other new cats and that would be very very frustrating um, to well, I wouldn't say frust- frustrating. It's just, it's more of like, well, it's more work than you thought it was going to be. And it's not just the money. It's also like the time and effort. And you need to put that in if like 
you're caring for a pet, uh, for a pet. Um, so adversely, what are some of the advantages of caring for a pet? Look, I think it's the unconditional love that they give you. I think is probably the biggest, the biggest benefit. Um, you know, if you're having a hard day or whatever it is, they're always happy to see you. Um, you know, they're always doing goofy things to, you know, cheer you up a bit when you're feeling down and always do silly and stuff like that. What are some of the goofy things that your pets do for you? Oh, I think um, in particular it's probably Hamish, my pug, (laughs) and just some of the facial expressions that he gets on his face. Like, he he can be so silly, um, you know, and just the way that he runs around and um, uh, interacts with the other interacts with the other pets. Um, he's a very social, he's a social butterfly compared to Paddington, um, but they complement each other well. So he's always there as like Paddington's little backup, his little support, we call him Paddington's emotional support pug. Oh, that's adorable. You yeah. boost Paddington's <laughs> confidence and stuff like that. <sighs> My heart. <laughs> I love that so much. I have such a soft spot for pugs. They're just so adorable and just always manage to make me me laugh. Uh, my cat loves to play catching with me. Like he likes to tag me and then run away. Um, or if I have a friend over and I'm not, or we are not giving him the attention that he wants, he will stand in a corner and just give me the cold shoulder essentially which is like <laughs> that's a lot of attitude f- f- in one little body <laughs> you know but it's this kind of personality that just makes you smile and you know um realize how unique they are um yeah so how does caring for a pet influence one's personality Look, I think for me, it's made me um, more empathetic and more caring, compassionate. Like I've had to try to be more aware of my feelings and know how um, my emotions impact on other animals and people and stuff like that. Um, So when you've got, um, particularly for my PTSD, you can have a lot of trouble with anxiety and anxiety. yeah, like stress and anger and get like a fright easily and that sort of stuff. So that stuff you can see directly onto your pet about that. So I've always got to be very careful to like try not to get upset about things, to just try and calm my response down. Um, And often that response feeds into your pet's behavior as well. So I think for me, it's more about trying to manage They've helped me manage my emotions um, and made me think that, you know, like you got to think about someone other than yourself. So you got to put them first. Um, and just, yeah, like the love that they give you is um, probably surpasses anything that you would ever be able to give them, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, how does one develop patience and empathy when training pets? What are the specific activities that might help to develop 
these traits? I think it's understanding an animal's personality, most of all. And like we were saying about them interacting with their environment and how their environment interacts with them is probably the biggest key. Um, so you need to really understand how they, um, like what's going to be triggering for them, what's going to calm them, what they enjoy, what they don't enjoy, what motivates them. Um, and like they're very similar, you know, to human beings in a lot of ways. Um, in, you know, like they're more motivated to do X, Y, and Z if they enjoy it or if they really like it. Um, I think you just need to understand that they, they all have different ways of dealing with things. You don't have one like cookie cutter mold as to how every dog should act, every, every cat should act, every bird should act, whatever it is. Like they're all very different. Um, so I think learning that they they are all different and that you do need to change the way that you interact with different animals at different times. Um, and that's how you need to learn to develop that patience. It's not like, oh, well, my last dog did this straight away, you know, so this dog that I have must be dumb. <laughs> it's probably maybe like there were different motivating factors for your other dog. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, it doesn't mean that they're dumb. Maybe you're not teaching the trick correctly or not doing whatever it is in a way that they understand. Yeah, uh, or maybe they, like, you're not giving them the motivation that they want um, because different pets are after different prizes. Sometimes some are motivated by food, some are motivated by toys. Um, so for your cats and your pets, wait, your, cat, your cats and your dogs for your cats and your dogs um what are the different motivations um and how do you deal with that okay so the main motivator for the cats so uh lexi it's food dyson it's toys um claudia it's definitely food um she will eat almost anything in the lengths that she will go to is pretty extraordinary she's very amazing at finding food if i forget that i've left something in my bag then she will hunt that out and uh and then for my dogs for paddington look it is a bit of food but he also does love his attention uh for hamish it is food and he's also a bit for attention and for benny it's probably food but also toys Sorry, I was just, I just, my brain just lagged for a bit there. I was just trying to read the next question that I was going to ask you. And then I was like, hang on, no, I wanted to ask a follow-up question. My bad. <laughs> so these things happen like all the time. And yeah, so <laughs> it's also 10 a.m. and I'm not a morning person. So this is a struggle for me. Um, I'm not a morning person either. It's like, <laughs> If you really struggle. Oh no, but but you have to take um one of your dogs out before the sun's too harsh. Yeah. So I normally like I normally walk Paddington in the evening when I walk him because even though he is allowed to go out earlier in the morning, that's when the kids start going to school. Ah, oh, you're 
Right. A lot of bicycles. There's a lot of little mm-hmm. kids running around, a lot of noise. So he's better at nighttime. Mm-hmm. Um, but my pug Hamish loves to get up about 6.30 in the morning and then he wakes all of the other pets up and then they all want breakfast straight away. So... <laughs> Yeah, fair enough. No, he's an early riser. He's a he's a morning, yeah. um, and therefore I need to be a morning person as well. Um, not oh. really a good choice. Yeah, that's unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, who would you recommend pet training for, or who would you recommend to get a pet? Okay, so I think. Um, it depends on what animal that you really um, feel like you're drawn to, but then also does that animal fit your lifestyle? So I may be like a huge fan of border collies, um, but I live in an apartment and I don't have a lot of time. So it's like, okay, well, if I do want to get an animal, what would be more suited to my lifestyle? Would it be like a greyhound that's happy to just lounge on the couch all day if I did want a dog? Or, you know, would it be a cat? You know, um, I think it's just about getting an animal that suits the conditions and the lifestyle that you have. Um, there's no point in saying, I really want to lose weight, so I'm going to get the most energetic crazy dog there is because I know that I will then go for runs. Chances are you're not going to go for a run. You're just going to have a frustrated pet um, that is going to be destroying everything um, because they're not getting enough physical and mental stimulation. Um, So I think about being realistic in what you want to do. And for some people, like pets aren't really something that they're that interested in. you know, if you're interested in just something that you want to like look at and just sort of get a bit of relaxation from, I mean, you've got like fish and that sort of stuff that can, you know, like watching fish can be very relaxing, um, but you don't have to be out walking them. They're very easy to take care of. Um, well, for the most part, I know that some of the um, species could be difficult, but yeah, salt um, water tanks, yes. not somewhere you want to go. <laughs> Although yeah, they're horses. <laughs> yeah, although they are huge flex, but it's like if you are already, you know, apprehensive about spending too much time or money on a pet, saltwater tank probably not a good idea. <laughs> like they, they, they're pretty difficult, so you, you'd be looking more probably at your uh, guppies and goldfish, yeah, but <laughs> an easy care type of thing. Um, but no, look, I think. You know, there's a lot of like there's a lot of little, little little pocket pets as well. You know, um, but it's also about researching what you need to do to look after these animals. Um, so it's about okay, well, you know, do I know how to care for a guinea pig? Do I know how to care for a rabbit? Do I know how to care for a dog? Mm-hmm. Um, and actually looking into it and know what's involved. Um, I often get frantic calls from people late at night who have just brought a puppy home and it's weighing all over the floor. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, like, it's um, it's to be expected, but often we just think puppy, cute, fun. Puppies are a lot of work. They are a lot of work. You need to toilet train them. You need to put up with the, you know, and train them out of the, the mouthing and biting. Uh, they all go through that phase. Um, jumping up. 
you know, um, they can be very um, demanding when it comes to like needing extra food. Um, you need to socialize them with their environment and other animals. Look, they they need a lot of work. Um, so just getting something because it's cute spur of the moment is not usually a good idea. Um, so if you're just walking by a, you know, by an animal shelter or you're looking online or you're doing something and you see something that you really, really want at that point in time, just take a step back and just, can I afford this? This is going to be a longer term commitment. Do I know how to take care of this animal? Do I have the resources and time to take care of this animal? Um, because they're going to be part of your life for a really long time and just not doing that split second impulse buy. Mm-hmm. Essentially, it's going to be rewarding in the long run, but you have to make sure that you're financially and emotionally and mentally ready for it. Um, yeah, that's really good advice. Um, so for the people who aren't as financially or emotionally or mentally ready, could they try the hand at pet training or caring for a pet without actually getting a pet? I think um, you've always got foster caring is always an option. So there's a lot of um, rescue groups out there that need foster carers. So that's like a temporary um, looking after their animals. So you're not like into a long-term commitment with that, but you've got the animal for, you know, like months at a time. Um, so you could, that's a good way to see if you are ready. So if you are considering getting a pet and you think maybe I am ready, that's a good way to be able to test the waters and then it might be, okay, well, no, this is a bit more the, of a commitment than what I um, what I, what I thought. Um, you've also got um, organisations that you can um, get involved with as well. So just helping raising money for these organisations, um, going and helping um, like at some of the rescue groups you know, like helping clean up after the animals or getting a job in like um, pet care or that sort of thing. Um, you can work in the animal indus- animal industry. You know, you can um, like become a groomer, or a dog walker, a dog trainer, um, a vet nurse, um, work in a boarding kennel. You know, there's a lot of different ways um, that you can you know, be involved in the pet industry. And some people like love being involved in the pet industry but don't really want a pet. So they might be involved in um, making um, pet treats, um, making pet clothes, um, you know, that's sort of like um, selling, uh, like buying things in bulk and selling um, cat toys or whatever it is. So there's a lot of other ways that they can get involved. Pet photography is a big one. Um, so there's a lot of things that you can do. Um, and so yeah, pet photography, I reckon would be great. Like I'm not that great in taking the photos, <laughs> but I reckon you'd have the best of both worlds because you get to see the dogs and that, and the cats and their owners and that interact. But then, you know, when they're silly, you just get to send them home. <laughs> I have done actually a bit of pet photography myself, but it's always really frustrating. Um, and also like not always frustrating, but it's frustrating when the, um, when they don't listen to you and you're like what do i do now and you have to be so familiar with the pet's um 
motivations as well. And if you aren't, you aren't just, you just aren't going to get it sometimes. And it's going to take a while. It's going to take a lot longer than um, people. And you just have to be really familiar with different kinds of pets. Um, you have to have a lot of tools in your toolkit. You need to yeah. have different types of toys, different types of treats. Yeah, you have to be ready for anything essentially yeah. because they can also poop on the floor when uh-huh. humans usually don't. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, you never know what's going to happen. Yeah, they'll they'll do the most embarrassing things at the most embarrassing times. Yeah, but it makes for a good story. It's yeah. never like it's never a mundane day in that field <laughs> it never is and that's that's probably the they can always break the tension you know like um you know you'll have some serious moment and then like your dog will burp or something and it's just <laughs> like it'll break the it just breaks the tension yeah and um they yeah they're just um they can be fun to have around that um so yeah they can be very frustrating when you try and take a photo um but yeah, they they provide a lot of entertainment, uh, and when you get that great shot, like it's just yeah, it's excellent. Kiss. Yeah, work of art, love it. Um, so now we're moving on to the practice slash habit experiment to brief, and this is where we ask you more questions about the everyday application of what you've just shared with us. Um, so what is a practice that you do to improve your patience and empathy um, when it comes to training your pets? I think taking things slow with them um, and they like they learn better through repetition and consistency and it's the same way that we learn. So um, being consistent as consistent as you can, um, being mindful that our frustration and stress levels play into their behavior as well. So often if they don't understand how to do something, it's probably because we haven't explained it clearly enough and in uh, a very set, uh, repeated set way that they could pick up. that I generalize very well. So if I think that my dog knows how to go to their bed in the laundry, dragging that bed out into the lounge room and telling them to go to their bed when they've done it once in the laundry, they're not going to be able to do it in the lounge room because they just haven't practiced it enough. It's a different environment. You know, it's a different picture for them. So understanding that, you know, look, we're expecting these animals to function in a much higher level than what, what they are mm-hmm. um so we wouldn't expect like a kindergarten kid to be able to do like complex maths and stuff like that but often we expect we have these expectations of what our pet should and shouldn't be able to do and it's about setting realistic expectations for yourself and for your pet um so just trying to keep things realistic and not um expecting the world straight away you know yeah so are there any good things that have come from this practice? Has it actually helped you in your everyday life, like in other aspects, for example, with your kids? Has it taught you a bit more empathy and patience with your kids? Do, do you practice the same, you know, set of like just repetition and like explaining over and over again with 
other people as well. Yeah, look, I think um, knowing that you might need to explain something in a different way for different people because they may not understand. Um, having to slow things down and break it up into smaller pieces. Um, and I think for me too, like learning, having to learn to be more patient um, has always been uh, a bit more difficult, I think, because um, I would just get frustrated quite easily. And I think becoming more heavily involved in dog training has really helped me get more of a handle on my post-traumatic stress and help me recover is probably the biggest factor that's helped me um, in my recovery and help with my confidence and becoming more empathetic towards people again because um, yeah, I became quite shut off um, when I became very ill uh, and this has sort of helped me open up um, to people again and to um, let people in Whereas before it was more um, like everything's more fear-based. Yeah, that sounds amazing. I'm glad this has worked so well for you. However, are there any challenges when trying to explain things over and over and practicing patience? Yeah, there's a lot of challenges. I think um, I think it's about thinking like have I explained things in a way that's easy just because I understand something in one way doesn't mean that that other person is going to understand it in that way as well um so maybe they've just misunderstood the question or um yeah I may not be explaining it in the in how I think that I'm explaining it so just sort of like stopping for a moment and just also asking them how or what they're having trouble with or um, because it may be that they've just completely misunderstood the question or what I'm trying to explain um, or they've got something else completely different in their mind that they're, that they're focusing on. Um, so I think um, that that is probably understanding where other people are coming from I think is probably going to be your biggest um, the biggest thing to help um, because often it's just it's not that people are, you know like people we automatically just think oh well you know someone's dumb or someone's something something you know like you jump to some conclusion that they just don't understand because they're not smart enough or whatever it is but that's you know nine times out of ten that's not the case it's just that you know, they haven't understood what the question is. We may not have explained it properly. So don't automatically assume that someone, um, you know, is like less intelligent or um, not paying attention or whatever it is. Like they may have some sort of cognitive um, impairment as well. Um, and you might just need to explain it slightly differently for them to understand. Um or use different examples, use real life examples, or use something else that they find interesting. So uh, that can be particularly helpful with um, people, like some clients that I know that are on the um, autism, they have what autism spectrum. Uh, so the it's about finding something that 
they're interested in and then being able to relate that back to them sometimes um, and just giving them the extra time. And sometimes yeah. for that, for some people, like more information is too overwhelming. So just oh. trying super, what like, very basic instructions, whereas other people need heaps of detail. Yeah, I feel both of that very strongly because while I get overwhelmed by too much instruction, I also need clarification on everything or I'll be like, well, technically this is right and I don't know which you're asking of me. So I need to ask more questions. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I definitely understand and feel that. Um, and that is really great advice. I feel like people should definitely start learning how to be more tolerant towards or, or like open and like patient, just being kind and patient towards people um, with cognitive disorders or disabilities. I think too that we've become less patient since COVID. That's how I feel like we've become less, we seem to be less tolerant of of things like we we just seem more demanding and um you know it's all about everything has to fit in with me or whatever it is it's like you know we work as we're, we're in a society we need to all get along with each mm -hmm. other um so in what ways have you experienced this oh i think um people being very inflexible with times and um places that they might want to meet or whatever it is it's just like well that's not convenient for me so i'm not going whereas um i think we got used to being able to control a lot of our environment i think um and now that things have gone back to uh to like normal or whatever you want to say um <clears throat> we're used to having um like a lot more control over what we do and I think, um, you know, taking things for granted a lot, I think. Um, so I think at the start of COVID there was more trying to not take things for granted because we had so many things taken away from us in terms of freedoms and a lot of restrictions placed on us, particularly in Melbourne. Um, but then when that started getting lifted, and now we've gone back to it, you know, in life as it was before. I think um, just people have become a lot less, uh, lot less patient with other people. I think, and a lot less able and flexible to um, incorporate the feelings of others. I'm not really sure why that is, but um, yeah, I just yeah, especially because I think a lot of people have this mentality that like, oh, we've lost two whole years now. We need to get things back up and running and work double time to get to where we should be or something like that. I don't know. But on the flip side, I have seen people who are more patient now and more understanding of like different work situations. So I guess they're like two sides to a coin unfortunately there's always going to be some bad situation out of these things um yeah so hopefully people like we can learn how to be a bit more patient um i think it's customer service has probably copped it the worst oh yeah for, so that's for them yeah. where you see 
And a lot of lot more of those signs that pop up, please be quite kind and patient with our staff. Like they really weren't around mm-hmm. before COVID. And then people just started getting super mad. Um, you know, everyone's on a deadline, everyone's in a rush um, and that sort of thing. But I think that the flexibility in work hours has been great, especially for um, working parents, people with um, disabilities and stuff like that, that, you know, like the working from home option, um, telehealth, that's been fantastic. Oh, telehealth has yeah. been a godsend. Thank you, <laughs> you know, there's so many things that, um, yeah, and you can learn a lot more things online. There's a lot more things that are a lot more accessible um, and also getting people more confident with technology to be able to keep contact with people and that sort of stuff. So there's a lot of benefits that have come out of things and a lot of ways that we've connected. But also I find that there's a lot of ways that particularly young kids um, find themselves disconnected from the uh, each other and society, and then they've missed a lot of crucial socialization time. And I find that um, I seem to feel I find that really sad. Um, but I know that we just have to support them and get them back into the right frame of mind and get them back out there and build their confidence and being able to interact with others and you know. Um, you know, help them make friends and with hobbies and things like that that they just weren't doing for a very long period of time. Yeah, hopefully we will be able to find that balance in time. I have two brothers who are like in the teenage years as well and they've missed out on I what I feel like are very prominent aspects of their social life. Um, so I definitely relate to that and I really hope that we can find some way to help them integrate back into society. Um, but before we get to carried away, um, let's move on to answering questions from the audience. Um, these are just questions from, well, the audience <laughs> about the topic. Um, they're just about five questions um, and we'll spend 10 minutes off on these, uh, if that's okay with you. Okay, so first question is, what are some good techniques always for teaching patience and empathy during pet training and behavior modification? Okay, so I think um, it's just breaking things into little chunks. So that's going to help with your patience. So you're not expecting, if you want them to do like a whole sequence of events, like if you want your dog to like, fetch a ball you need to be able to like get them excited about the ball um, and throw the ball just a little tiny distance encourage them to bring it back to you rather than just pick the ball up and just throw it you know about 20 meters in one direction and then get angry because the dog doesn't understand to just automatically run after the ball you know um, we've got to break it down like simple things into into basic steps for them so that is going to show you how to be more patient because you need to be able to understand that even something that we consider um, easy is not easy. So there's also showing empathy that, hey, look, I need to understand that this may be actually be really hard for this for this dog, um, or that dog it may not actually motivate them. You know, um, I probably wouldn't be motivated by doing that. So you know. <laughs> 
not all of it's hard to go to be motivated by that. I mean, I'd rather be one of us sipping on a coffee, you know, having a piece of cake, you know, like one of those dogs that sits back and just is happy just like uh, under a bush, like chewing on a, on, a, on a branch or something like that. Yeah, well, me neither. That's such a good way of putting it because I don't think a lot of people think of it that way i definitely don't but if i were to put myself in my cat's shoes i'd be like oh this person is trying to get me to do something again that i don't want to do like i'd rather be doing something else like chilling out there or something um so that's that's a good piece of advice um next question is well i'm gonna choose which questions because there's there's like 10 questions and i have to cut it down um some of them i think have already been asked so how can pet owners acquire tolerance while dealing with hmm, what role can blah 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 in what ways does the process of training and modifying pet behavior mirror our own personal development journey how can pet owners effectively handle the emotions and reactions during behavior modification to create ah okay this is this seems like a good question um how can pet owners effectively handle their own emotions and reactions during behavior modification to create a safe and trusting environment for their pets okay okay i think um that building that trust is a big thing. So particularly if you've got a rescue dog, it's very important. Um, or if you've just adopted a cat, whatever it is, like you need to give them time to adapt to their environment. Um, so we don't just like rush straight into hardcore training with them. We need to be able to develop a bond with them and have them trust us. Um, so having like a routine with them that they can then learn to learn to know what's happening, um, not expecting too much from them at the start, not making things too overwhelming. Uh, same as when you've got a cat, you introduce them to one room and then further to further parts of the house and that sort of stuff because it can be too overwhelming to just let them have access to the whole house at once. Mm-hmm. Um so I think it's more um, having realistic expectations of what can be achieved in that early stage um, and also understanding that our stress levels are going to impact on that animal. So if we're going through a very stressful time in our life and trying to change uh, the behaviour of our pet, um we may struggle to do that because we may have less patience than normal. We may be quicker to anger. We may have less time. Um, we may just have so much going on in our life that we're so distracted that we can't give that give as much time. And then we take that frustration out on our pet, even though um, it's coming from within us. So being aware of your own emotions and knowing that um, that will play a role. And it often plays a role um, when I go to clients' houses and I've got a dog that uh, is 
displaying these sorts of behaviours and it may be linked back to, well, my partner just recently moved out or um, I went away for um, two weeks and I just got home and then this problem started or, um, you know, the neighbour's dog might have started barking. You know, there's often external triggers um, and we need to be aware of that. Mm -hmm. It's not just like normally like dogs just don't start a behaviour. Um, there's usually something that, that triggers it. So before we start getting super frustrated, um, we need to understand what what's actually the, the root cause. Yeah, that's really interesting because it, it, it does parallel humans as well. Um, if a child's acting up, it's usually not for nothing. There's a reason behind it. And whether that's like an undiagnosed disorder or or trouble in in the house that they are stressed out by, um, it's not just because they're bored. Um, so I think that's very important um, to realize. Um, so pet training is always tricky and sometimes there's gonna be setbacks and it can be very frustrating, um, unfortunately. How can pet owners maintain their patience and empathy during these specific challenging times, both for their pets and for themselves? Look, I think um, it's usually when you're doing a training exercise, just make it short. So keep training sessions really short, so like five minute maximum. Um, so you're keeping it fun and keeping the pet's um, interest and also your own. And if it's not fun, you're not going to want to do it. So it's going to become a chore and no mm -hmm. one's going to want to do it. Yeah, it's better uh, a shorter, like a shorter, smaller tour every day than like <laughs> a longer one hour tour um, yeah. every few days. So yeah, it's yeah. definitely just breaking it up into small pieces and also finishing on a win. So finishing on a high. So um, there's no point just pushing and pushing and pushing until the point where the animal can't do it anymore and then stopping. It's about quitting while you're ahead, basically. So just do a couple of things. And then if that exercise is too hard and the dog still can't do it, we'll just get them to do something that they can do and then finish on that. Because otherwise they're going to get really upset and frustrated. Um, you know, it's often the case with interactive toys. So we give them puzzle toys and that sort of thing. And then they can't do it straight away and then they give up. But it's because we haven't shown them how to use them and shown them how to succeed. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's the downfall that, you know, we get frustrated with them. Um, you know, I think, oh, that dumb dog can't do this, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> you know, everyone else's dog can do this, but my dog can't. It's mm -hmm. because they just haven't been shown, you know, like um, a classic example was my little dog Hamish. He had... Uh, a bobolot toy which rocks at the base and dispenses it dispenses treats so i got him a new toy a con wobbler it's basically exactly the same thing just in a different shape and slightly different um size and setup um does exactly the same thing you just push it and the treats pop out i he think my cat has that one is it the purple one 
Yeah, the dog one is red, but the purple oh, one is the cat one. Yeah. The little fluffy tail or something. <laughs> that one as well. Yeah. Yeah. So he just had to push it the same as the other one, exactly the same. And he got so mad. He was just barking and he was frustrated and he was running around. He just could not understand how to do it. This because like the picture is slightly changed. So I just had to like show him, like just push him, push it a little bit. You know, like to show him that treats came out. And then he got the hang of it and he was fine. But if I had have just quit right then, it would have been just like, I don't know what his problem is. You know, <laughs> the same thing. But it was could he just couldn't understand it was a slightly different picture. So you just have to um be patient in knowing that um sometimes they just don't understand and you just got to try and make it easy for them and make it achievable for them because otherwise they're just going to quit it's the same as a kid if you ask them to do something too hard and you don't like give them the help and show them how to do it they're not going to bother doing it yeah i have the opposite problem with my cat he knows how to do everything for some reason so i try to get an auto feeder for him um so that's easier for like to feed him when I'm gone away for, for like a day or something. Uh, and he just learned how to open it up and just snack on it whenever he wanted, which was really annoying. And now I can't have an auto feeder because no matter what I do, he's going to crack it open somehow. He like literally pushed it over. So <laughs> I have a complete opposite problem, unfortunately. Um, do you have any advice for self-care practices to help pet owners themselves cope with the stress of caring for a pet? I think um, being able to still take time out for yourself and have what little routines and things that you can do um, and also incorporating exercise as much as you can um, and not having to feel guilty. You know, you don't have to take your dog everywhere. You know, you don't have to take it to the cafes and have to take it to the dog parks. Like some dogs just aren't suited to that sort of stuff. And that's okay. Like you just don't have to be like really hard on yourself thinking, well, you know, I must be a bad pet owner because my dog doesn't like other dogs in the dog park. Yeah. And I think it should be normalized to to just be like, well, I need some time alone away from my pet right now um, because everyone needs time alone sometimes, you know. It's, it's normal, it's fine, it doesn't make you a bad pet owner. And actually it can be beneficial for your pet um, to, to teach them to be comfortable by themselves as well because if we teach them to be too needy and with us all the time, we're like more encouraging separation anxiety. Oh yeah, how to be comfortable within themselves. So yeah. I think that that's doing them a favor by not having them with you all the time. Yeah, I think my cat actually got that um, after after lockdown ended because I was inside with him almost twenty four seven, and then suddenly I'm away for like sixty percent of the time, and he would cry the moment I leave. Um, but now he doesn't anymore, so that's nice. Um, so now we're moving on to the open mic. This is your chance to talk about anything that you are passionate about, and it doesn't have to be related to the topic. So take it, take it away. The floor is yours. Okay. So what I think I'm most 
um, passionate about is uh, trying to raise awareness and get better services and facilities for first responders um, who've got post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, so first responders are people like um, ambulance, the paramedics, police, fire. Um, here in Australia, there's like SES and um, CFA, so Country Fire Authority. Um, dispatch callers, those sort of um, people where you're exposed to very high levels of trauma and it, um, and you experience them on a on a daily basis and usually at a degree that most people don't most people don't get to see in their lives and it's normally like a daily occurrence during your, the course of your work um, <clears throat> so yeah so post-traumatic stress is um, experiencing like longer term effects um, after you've um, seen something or experiencing experienced something traumatic um and that can be, you know, like in the in terms of the uh, first responders, that could be attending like a drowning um, or a car accident or a child that can't breathe with asthma or, um, you know, like finding um, a deceased person or whatever it is. Um, <clears throat> it's... Uh, it's more, um, I think, as a society, we we think that um, these people that do these jobs are almost like superhuman to a, to a large degree. Um, but, you know, you're just the same as everyone else. You just do a difficult job um, to help people. Um, and... When things start falling apart, you don't really know who to turn to or what to do, and you often don't have enough services and support. So the the rate of suicide is very high. Um, the rate of marital breakdown and um, like dependence on substances and gambling and um, the other coping mechanisms that are unhealthy. Um, drinking and um, all that sort of stuff just to try and be able to cope uh, and there are often not a lot of um, places out there for people to get specific help um, so I find that we really do need to have more education and awareness about um, post-traumatic stress in general but also specifically for our emergency workers that um, sounds like a great cause um yeah so where can our listeners find your charity or your work um if they want to find you so for my charity there's um raising awareness and training assistance dogs for um including benny the dog that i've got now <laughs> uh you can go to canines for valor so it's k9 S four number four and then Valor V A L O U R dot org. Um, so we've got information there, and we're also on social media platforms under the same name. Uh, if you want to find more about my dog training business, Melanie Scott Canine Training, um, that's also spelt with the K, letter K, and then the number nine. Um, you've got Melanie Scott Canine Training dot com, 
Um, I'm also on all the all the socials, um, and yeah, I offer dog training, person like the in person consults around Melbourne in Victoria, Australia, or I do offer Zoom consults, and I will hopefully be launching some um, online other training and that type of thing. Uh, yeah. Like- so if our listeners want to participate in your charity how can they do that do they donate do you accept volunteers look um, we always need volunteers particularly for working with um, barbecues and raising money and that type of thing because it is very expensive to train these dogs it can be up to twenty thousand dollars to train each dog um and you know you can always donate to us we've got banking details um on the on the website they're on our um, Facebook page um, and just sharing our page, liking our page, following what we do um, and just being there uh, to support us. Um, so then when we do have any sort of fundraising thing down the track when it's online and that type of thing, then yeah, you can follow along. You can, you can donate, you can share our, share our page, you can share our story um, and just be part of the journey that we've got. Uh, we actually got a large portion of this money um, to start training Benny. We struggled for many years to try and get um, the money needed to start because uh, it is very expensive, this process. Um, and my friend Ron, um, who was also a police officer, he passed away from cancer and some money was left in his will to us. And that's how we started um, being able to get this get this dog uh, off the you know get this project off the ground properly. Um, it was just kind of simmering away. We were just chipping away lots of barbecues, lots of you know like really uh, grassroots stuff to try and get the get those funds raised. But yeah, like if you're wanting to volunteer and help us out for any of that sort of stuff, or yeah, even if it's like helping us do um social media stuff or you know like even if it's skill-based things we're always open and willing to um uh get suggestions and and help from from other people you know it's a it's a small charity we're not for profit um we've only got a small board um but they're very passionate and yeah any way that um you feel like you might be able to help us um, would be greatly appreciated. That's amazing. So if you want to find out more about the charity and about Melanie's business, we'll link the websites in our show notes and you can go visit them. Thank you so much, Melanie, for joining us today. I uh, had a lovely time chatting with you about pets and developing empathy and patience. You gave so many great pieces of advice and thank you everyone for tuning in and we'll catch you in the next episode thank you you've been listening to the self-improvement atlas the personal science insights podcast produced by lmsl the life management science labs for more episodes like this from 10 different life management perspectives search lmsl on youtube apple podcasts google podcasts and spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts so you can get updated on everything we have to offer we have a wide range of topics readily available for you to check out 
If you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating our show, sharing it, and subscribing to our channel as it helps us grow and bring you more quality resources. More of our work can be found on our website at pe.lmsl.net where you can join our movement. I'm Marie Stella. Thanks for tuning in.